0: Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, and this is the word of God. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting... Lord, I believe even at the beginning here, we feel that there is weight in your word today. I pray that we will hear it rightly. I pray that we will honor you faithfully. I pray that you will allow us to magnify your name this day. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right, quick poll. How many of your homes have in them plates that you're not allowed to use every day? Yeah, I hear a couple of no's. God bless you. I hear a few no's. How many yeses are there? Yeah, yeah. At your home, when do you put out your very best? When do, you, when do you use the nice plates, if you've got them? When, when do you use the glasses that might actually break if they were dropped? Maybe even the ones with the stems on the bottom, if you've got those, right? <laughs> when do you serve the hard-to-prepare food? Typically, if you do those things, you do them when, what, somebody special's coming over, Right? Now, why do people bring out the good dishes when somebody important is coming over? Why do they do that? Now, for some folks, it's a trick. Because you want to make people think you're fancy all the time. That is silly. Don't do that. And by the way, don't don't hear this as me saying, and you ought to do it this way. Because guys, when we are together, brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't need to be fancy for each other. It's okay. It's okay. Man, we are family. So paper plates are great. But I think most people do understand that when someone brings out their best, when somebody special is coming over, it is because you want to show some love and some respect to the guests coming over, right? Yeah, we give our all. But guys, giving your all out of a desire to show honor, to show love, to show respect, that's not just a thing for a dinner party. In our passage for today, we're going to see that giving your best in acts of worship is the only right way to honor the Lord. Because God is great, and God is worthy, and God is glorious. And to honor God means we give God the honor God is due. You know, many sections of the book of Malachi that we're going to study, are they're going to include God convicting the people of sin, and calling the people to return to him. So this morning we're gonna see a call for Israel to return to faithful worship. That's the overarching theme here: return to faithful worship. And let me warn you: if you didn't hear it when we read the scriptures, this is not an easy, light-hearted little text, right? You didn't hear it this morning thinking, well, this is gonna be funny. This is serious. So let's walk through the passage. We'll find five points of application along the way. First point, if you're ready. Honor and fear God. Honor and fear God, also known as last week's sermon. Malachi 1 verse 6 begins, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. Last week we showed from a variety of passages, really, that Scripture consistently calls the people of God to properly honor and fear God. In Israel, the priests and the Levites particularly were to know that the commands of God were for them to to help others understand and to follow, right? Right? The, the, the Levites and the priests were to teach the rest of the nation how they might please the Lord. The priests knew they were supposed to honor and fear God. Deuteronomy 33, verse 10, a passage the priests would have known quite well, it says, They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. The priests of Israel were charged by God to present proper offerings before God and to teach the word of God to the people of God. So there's absolutely no way that the priests and the Levites did not bear the responsibility of responding to God as God has written in his word. They knew the regulations for proper worship. And the problem in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 is that God declares that the priests of God and therefore the people who are being led by the priests of God have not honored nor feared the Lord. Instead, because they have refused to rightly honor God and fear God, they have despised the name of God. Now, what about us? You and I are not under the Old Covenant animal sacrificial system, which is good, right? Y'all, you're, you guys are good with that, yes? So then the question would be, do we bear any such responsibility as did these priests in the Old Testament? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal Priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does God call us, Christians? A priesthood and a holy nation. The nation of Israel and her priesthood was a shadow a pointer toward, a hint at the actual true priesthood of all believers. Now, we serve not under Levitical priests, but we serve under Jesus Christ, the one true, perfect, eternal high priest. Jesus, our high priest, made the only actual blood offering for sin that leads to our forgiveness. And now we, as a holy kingdom of priests from every nation, we have the joyful responsibility and opportunity to offer God right worship in accord with his word. So Christians... You and I are called to lead in honoring and fearing God. It is your job. We are to make the glory of God our number one priority. Why? Because the glory of God is God's number one priority. In every aspect of life, formal worship as well as informal daily living, we are to show the watching universe that God is great, Worthy, weighty, and glorious. And we are to properly fear God. Giving him the respect that he's due. Responding to him in awe and reverence. Trembling at his judgment. And never, no, not ever trifling with God as if he's not important. Make it a top priority in your life, Christian, to honor and fear God. That is point number one. That is last week's sermon. Do you feel caught up? Okay, good. Point number two. Give God your best. Now we're going to start covering some new ground. Give God your best. Verse six through verse eight. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? The Lord anticipates the objection from the people. That's a pattern in Malachi. It happens over and over again people pretty much hear these words and say, you're nuts, you're crazy. We don't despise God's name. Come on. In fact, Malachi, prove it. Tell us how. God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. It's the formal act of worship. That God is bringing into question here. The the food set on the altar, the sacrifices made by the priests, they are polluted. The offerings are unholy. And this is how God says that they have despised his name and they've despised his worship. And then another objection comes. You say, How have we polluted you? Come on, right? They don't get it. They won't believe that they could possibly be guilty. These people are blind to their sin. And as Paul Tripp likes to say, they're blind to their own blindness. They can't even see, they they can't see. God tells them how. By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Now we're getting somewhere. Whenever a priest in the Old Testament made an offering before God, you guys know this, right? What kind of offering did the priest have to make? What was it? Did it have to be, were there high standards for this? Yep. It had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. It had to be without defect. Deuteronomy 15, 21 reads, But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Is that clear enough? The priests, however, appear to have ignored this command of God. Instead of offering God the best, the most perfect, they're offering God the sick, the blind, the crippled. Instead of finding a perfect sheep to sacrifice to the Lord, they would go find one with a broken leg or some other defect. They would look at that animal and say, Ah, oh, you know, that'll do. That'll be fine. It's funny, when I lived in, in Korea, uh, there was a word, it was a phrase that we learned from the Korean people that they would say, Kinchanayo. And Kinchanayo means it's like, oh, That's good enough. Which is, Fine when you're trying to like, you know, put something up on the wall. Is that in the right spot? Ah, it's good enough. But you know what? If it's like a construction worker putting up, you know, the the supports for a building, not a word you want. (laughs) These people were looking at the offerings and that's fine. No big deal. God gives another illustration here. He says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? So this is like God bringing out the idea earlier, I'm a father, I'm a master. Give me the respect and honor that a father is due. God makes another very solid point against the priests because during the days of Malachi, the nation of Israel was administered, they were overseen by governors who were appointed by the Persian king. For a little while, Nehemiah served as a governor. But the governors, they could require from the people, Nehemiah refused his right to do this, but some of the governors could require from the people livestock. Or, 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 or food as taxes. God is telling the priests, you know perfectly well that the kind of garbage offerings you're trying to pass off to me, you would never even think of trying to give to the governor. You know better. Israel was violating the law of God. The priests were dishonoring God by not obeying the clear commands of God in God's word as to how God is to be worshiped. Instead of honoring God, the priests were throwing God their leftovers. They were giving God the animals that they did not themselves want. They were giving God only what they felt they could spare. And in doing so, they were making unworthy offerings. What do you think, New Testament Christians, is there a lesson for us to learn here? How might this apply to us? Now, remember, we do not make one single blood sacrifice for sins. That sacrifice was made by Jesus and Jesus alone. All the Old Testament sacrifices were to point to what Jesus was ultimately going to do. So on the one hand... We rightly honor God when we place faith in Jesus and Jesus' perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is a way to honor God by resting in the finished sacrificial work of Jesus. But as worshipers of God, we do offer things to the Lord. We don't burn animals. We don't burn grain. We don't burn incense to please the Lord anymore. All of those actions were pointers to what Jesus would do. They were shadows of the substance that Jesus brought. But we do, as children of God in Jesus Christ, participate in acts of both formal and informal worship for his honor. How? What do we do to worship God? Well, we pray, we, we sing, we, we listen to sermons. We read the word of God. We participate in Lord's Supper. We baptize people in Jesus' name. So let me ask you, when it comes to worship, are you, right here, right this morning, giving God the honor he's due? Here we are, gathered at a time we've set aside for the formal worship of God. God is worthy of honor. Yes? You sang it. Do you give the Lord your best? Do you give the Lord the honor due him? As you as you got ready to come here today, did you come here with your heart set on offering God what God deserves for God's honor? Did you come here thinking about how you can please the Lord? Did you come here ready to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Or did you come for another ho-hum Sunday where you check off the list that you did your religious duty? One more question before we go on. We all have to decide on Sundays whether we're going to be able to make it to worship, don't we? How do you decide? Do you decide whether or not you can make it here based on how sleepy or busy you feel? Do you check the calendar to see if there's something you think you would enjoy more? Or do you decide to come to worship because you know God is worthy of the highest praise and the highest honor? If you had somebody really special to you coming over to your house, think favorite author, favorite preacher, think an athlete or musician that you just really respect, what are you going to feed them? You're going to serve that leftover meatloaf that really might be going bad in the back of the fridge, but we think it'll hold on for one more meal? Or would you try to give something special to the one you want to honor? If you would not serve a celebrity your leftovers, don't think you can give God your leftovers in worship. He is worthy of our all. He is our first priority. His glory is the reason we were created. So let us take this call to worship seriously and worship God with the very best. Now, I'm not here saying that if you're not a perfect singer, don't sing at all. That's not what I'm saying. How many of you are glad of that, by the way, that that's not what the Lord's telling us? Neither am I telling you, if your heart isn't shiny and perfect, stay out. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. There is nothing more important than you and I can do. There's nothing more important that we can do than to honor our God. So we need to shape our lives according to that. We need to give God the very best we have to give. Don't think, don't think you can give God worship only if you have nothing better to do. Don't think you can please God by letting God have your leftovers. Give God the best you've got to give. Now, again, that's not because you're going to earn something or buy something from God by doing it. It's just because it's what he's worthy of. Third point this morning. Do not expect mercy without repentance. Do not expect mercy without repentance. Look at 9 and 10. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Aren't you glad that's not the only verse in the Bible? We are right back in the heat of God's rebuke of the priest's. Verse 9 is a verse that if you're going to read it rightly, you, it's got biting heat in it. It's got sarcasm in it. You should read in verse 9 a tone of anger, even mocking from God. Go ahead, entreat <laughs> God's favor with your half-hearted leftover, only what you can spare worship. See how that'll work for you See, even though these priests are not acting like God is worthy of their praise, they're not acting like God is worthy of the best, they're seeking God's blessing. They want God to prosper them, they want God to help them out as a nation. They want God to make their circumstances better. And God says, Are you guys nuts? You want to offer me your castoffs, your rejects, your leftovers, and then you expect me to come running to your rescue because I owe you something because of your offering? Now, again, let's be sure that we understand. Nobody buys the favor of God, right? Nobody gives to God and forces God to give back to them. God owes us nothing. And by the way, risking a tangent, the heart of pagan religion of every shape and size, the heart of false religion of every shape and size, is the belief that I can do something, take an action, that will force the hand of the deity on my behalf. It's one of the reasons why the book the prayer of Jabez years ago it was so pagan in its roots. Even though they pulled the Bible verse out of context, they acted like they could speak a prayer and force God to do things. It's also a problem with other religions that say, if you rub this statue the right way, if you kneel in this right way, if you sing this song, if you sit in this service, that's going to force God to bless you. That is not Christianity. What's ridiculous here, though, is these guys are offering God their rejects in full out disobedience to the word. And they think they're going to force God to bless them because of those gifts. God says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you and I will not accept an offering from your hand. You hear power in those words. God says, I wish at least one of you priests had the integrity to put an end to this. I'd rather have the temple doors boarded shut than to have you people playing your little games with my worship. God says, what you do to those people, he says, what you do gives me no pleasure. I will not accept your offerings. You know, God's spoken like that before. Amos chapter 5, 21 to 24 Listen to these words from God. See if they feel any better. I hate, I despise your feasts... while at the same time despising the Lord's name and his commandments, they were not earning for themselves favor from God. On the contrary, they were stirring up judgment for themselves. Isn't it funny how much that sounds like Sunday school's discussion of Lord's Supper this morning, by the way, for you guys who made it? It's almost like God has a message he wants us to hear. Like I said, one of the mistakes of false religions is to believe you can move the deity to act on your your behalf because you do the right thing. You perform the right way. You sing the right way. You eat the right cracker. You speak the right magic words. You can make your God do for you what you want. But Christian, our God is looking for something far more than something far different than empty actions from you. God has never been pleased with heartless, empty religion. Our God demands your all, your heart, your soul. You don't become holy by accidentally brushing up against an object that you think is holy. You don't honor God by going through the motions with no heart for God. So don't think you can offer God empty ceremony and somehow please God. Now, again, don't be confused by what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, well, if your heart's not in it, just don't worship. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, if your heart's not in it, don't bother coming to church. I'm not saying, don't obey the commands of God if your heart's not in it. That's not the point. I remember in a a, a preaching class... One of my preaching professors had a student say that he was looking forward to being a pastor, but he really didn't like people. And the professor challenged him on his demeanor and behavior. And the guy looked at the the professor and said, are you telling me to pretend to be something I'm not? And he said, no, I'm telling you to change or get away from ministry. My point is not, hey, if your heart's not in it, don't obey. If your heart's not in it, don't worship. The point is that you need to repent from your heart when your heart's not in it. You need to change from opposing God in your heart to desiring God in your heart. You need to confess that sin to the Lord. You need to pray to the Lord. You need to plead with the Lord to work in you and change your very emotions. God was telling the people of Israel That they cannot expect his favor Just because they burn a few animals in his honor No, if they desire to be favored by God they got to come to God in faith and repentance Now, how do you come to the Lord in faith? Start by, get this, this may be new to many of us Believe in Jesus Start there, Right? Believe. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came to earth to rescue the people of God from their sin. Jesus came and lived an absolutely perfect, sinless life. The one you were supposed to live, but you never have. Jesus died a perfect, sacrificial death. Jesus gloriously rose from the grave. Believe that stuff. Believe that Jesus both can and will forgive anybody who comes to him in genuine faith. Do you believe that? I surely hope you do. Well, don't just believe, though. Jesus never said believe alone and left that hanging. It's always repent and believe. When you look at Scripture, every time you see a a faith alone, there's always a repentance tied somewhere within, well, within arm's reach. What does it mean to repent? Look at your sin and see it as evil and ugly and dishonoring to God. Can you do that? Look at your sin and see it as something you don't want. Feel sorrow over your sin. But don't think you can fix yourself. How many of you are good at fixing yourselves? (laughs) Repenting means that you turn to Jesus, submit to him as your master, and rest your entire hope for your entire eternity on him and him alone. And where, as a Christian, you find yourself in rebellion... Again, I'm guessing a few of you still do that from time to time. Find yourself in rebellion, right? Repent. Confess your sin to God. Turn from it. Ask Jesus to change you and obey his commands. Ask God to help your heart to be his and not yours. God told the Israelites they'd be better locking up the temple than offering him disobedient worship. God was telling them they cannot have his favor without also having repentance mark their lives. In the same way, friends, though you do not ever force God's hand or earn anything or buy anything from God, do not expect to receive the mercy of God without it being accompanied by repentance. We never buy God's favor, not for a moment. But we cannot continue in sin, aggressively defying God, and expect God's face to shine on us. So repent and seek the blessing of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Fourth point glorify God globally with the gospel. Glorify God globally with the gospel. Look at verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Why is God so intent on receiving faithful worship? Because giving God worship that is less than the best that you have to offer is to dishonor his name. Y'all know God's not going to allow the dishonoring of his name. Psalm 138 verse 2, Jared read it for us this morning, says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Listen to this. For you have exalted above all things. By the way, do you think it's important to know what God says is above all things? You think, ooh, this is above all things. I better pay attention. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. God has purposed from before the dawn of time that his name would be glorified throughout the entire world from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the east to the west. Everywhere on the globe that the sun has ever shined, around the whole globe, among all peoples, God's name is going to be honored. We saw a hint of this back in Malachi 1 verse 5 a couple weeks ago. God told Israel, you will see my greatness beyond the borders of Israel. And here for the second time in only a few verses, we see God pointing out that his name is going to be praised and it goes well beyond the borders of physical Israel. And this friends is, a, is another hint at the gospel. God pointed out to his people who were living in the fifth century BC, he's gonna do something that's gonna take his praise, not just to the edges of the borders of Israel, but to every corner of the globe. God told them that right offerings are gonna be made in his honor all over the world. And this is not a physical Israel thing. This is God spreading his worship through the nations. By the way, God says a pure offering is going to be made. Uh, Some might point out, how many actually, perfectly, unquestionably pure offerings have ever been made? One. One pure sacrifice was made for sins. That was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. The sacrifice that brings into God's family people from every nation, all peoples on earth. All those animals the priests killed before were copies, shadows, pointers to the fact that Jesus would take his own blood and he would present it in the real Holy of Holies. God's name will be great around the globe. The Israelite should have heard this and it should have caused the Israelite to take the worship of God very, very seriously. After all, this is highly important to God. How dare anybody take the worship of God lightly? But looking back at this passage with the light of the New Testament, we can see that part of our duty in worshiping the Lord is to see to it that the people of the nations around the globe see the name of God as great. Great. This, again, is a reminder to us of the Great Commission that we studied at the end of Matthew. We take the gospel to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Our lives exist for the glory of God. And part of the glorifying of God is that you worship God right here where you are. And part of glorifying God is taking action to see to it that God is worshipped everywhere else too. Because where do you want to see the name of God glorified? Everywhere. This is a global call. This is a global all nations command. What people group do you want to see worship Jesus? All of them. What color people do you want to see worship Jesus? All of them. Christians. God's name will be praised by people of every ethnic group, every nation, Understand that and realize that you and I have the joyful honor of being part of spreading the praise of God around the globe. Pray for people that take the gospel to the nations. Give to help people take the gospel to the nations. Go whenever you get the chance to take the gospel to the nations and spread the glory of God around the globe with the gospel. One more point, fifth point for this morning. Repent and return to faithful worship. Repent and return to faithful worship. 12 through 13, the beginning says, but you profane it, the name of God, when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it says the Lord of hosts. Half-hearted, lukewarm, self-centered, self-focused acts of worship dishonor the name of God. They say to God and to others who see it that God is really not a big deal to you. He's of no great importance. Friends, we must not do that. We must not dishonor the name of God. We must return to a faithful worship because God, for the sake of his glory, will not tolerate anything less. But uh, what kind of heart does God see in the priests and the people of Israel there in verse 13? Instead of the priests and the people saying, Lord, we want to worship you rightly, instead of them crying out for forgiveness for their dark, evil hearts, The people respond to God with contempt. Can't you just see them rolling their eyes? What a pain. This is way too much work. You're so particular about what you want us to do. Can't you just be fine with what we give you? Can you fathom talking to God like that? Because I'll tell you, friends... A lot of churches or places that call themselves churches in our country today are doing that very thing this day. Because they're making up things that they're like, oh, God will be happy with this. Let's do it. Even though his word says not do it, we're going to do it anyway. This is all too much work. This is all too picky. This is all too rulesy. Can't you hear them sniffing, sighing, giving those sounds of frustration? <sighs> They respond to God the way that you and I are tempted to respond to an annoying relative. Whenever they, they start telling you about something they read on the Internet about why you should not eat the thing you're trying to fit into your mouth. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Right? Someone, someone like you're trying to take a bite of something. You know, I read that's really bad for you. What do you want to do? They're saying that to the God of the universe about his worship, though. Be careful. This stuff here that we see could be a picture of you. Pray that it won't be. Pray that you'll respond to God with a soft, repentant heart. Pray that God won't let you be so calloused, so hardened, so self-absorbed, so blinded to your own sin that when he reveals to you what he deserves and what he demands, you don't respond to God with contempt. Oh, pray that God will help you repent when he calls you to do so. And then here the final words of chapter 1. Listen to God call us to our best. 13 says you bring what has been taken by violence or what is lame or sick and this you bring is your offering shall I accept that from your hand says the lord right. cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and then sacrifices to the lord and yet sacrifices to the lord what is blemished for I am a great king says the lord of hosts and my name will be feared among the nations You see that there's very little that's new here. This is the same message. God tells the people they should be ashamed of themselves because they're only willing to give God what they can spare. Is that you? They're only willing to give what costs them nothing. They will not change their budget In order to worship God, they will not rearrange their schedule to worship God. They talk big about all that they're going to give and they're offering to God. But when it comes time actually to give, they renege and they offer God only what they themselves do not want. God, for his part, reminds the people he will not accept those offerings from their hands because he's a great king. His name is most important. His name will be great among the nations. He will be glorified. He will not accept the people's trash as his worship. He will curse those who talk big about worship, about their devotion to him, and then turn away from him. And as the first chapter of the book of Malachi draws to a close... I don't know about you, but I think there's a fairly heavy feeling here. But remember, friends, if you are drawing breath, again, we can do the quick poll. How many of you are drawing breath? (laughs) If anyone's not, let me know. Are you drawing breath? Then you you can hear the convicting word of God. And if you're drawing breath and you're hearing the convicting word of God, you are being given by God a moment to repent. Isn't that good news? See, the call in Malachi repeatedly is return. Return. Come. Return to faithful worship. No, we're not Old Testament priests who are failing to offer right physical sacrifices at the temple, but we are a priesthood of all believers serving under Jesus Christ, who is the perfect eternal high priest. We don't go to a physical temple to make offerings, but in Christ, we make true offerings of worship to God by giving Him our very lives. We make no sin offering because the only offering that ever paid for a single sin was made by Jesus Christ. But we do turn from sin and trust in Jesus and live to honor the God who granted us his glorious forgiveness. So today I urge you Christians, examine your life very closely. This section of Malachi 1 is edgy. God is telling you he is not someone to trifle with. Honor God, fear God, give God your best. Don't expect mercy without repentance. Glorify God globally with the gospel. Repent and return to faithful worship. And in all of this, remember this, your only hope to please God is to do all that you do in the name of Jesus Christ, under his grace, and for his glory. Let's bow together and pray. Jesus, we thank you. You are good. God, we thank you for this hard-edged word because in that pointed message to the people is a call to repentance. God, thank you because every call to repentance that you give us indicates hope that we have to be forgiven and experience your grace. I pray that everyone who hears this and has not surrendered to Jesus will repent and believe for salvation. I pray everyone who does hear this, who has Jesus, will repent and believe and obey for joy and your glory. Help us, God. That's our prayer. In Christ's holy name, amen.